This is the Music Halls of Fame podcast. This week we honor the year in music for 2007 along with a member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame class of 2007. We also look at the case for putting Don Henley into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Plus our Spotlight Hall of Fame is the Grammy Museum Hall of Fame in Los Angeles, California. Before we get going with the podcast, like everyone tells you, please like, subscribe, and hit the notification bell so you'll know when these podcast episodes drop, which is usually every Thursday. Now, on to this week's episode. The year was 2007. In music events of 2007, the music industry went through growing pains of the digital revolution as digital downloads went up, but album sales cratered. The Live Earth concerts were held in 12 different stadiums in seven continents. The concert for Diana, honoring the memory of British Princess Diana, took place. Justin Bieber started his road to getting discovered when he started his YouTube channel. Soul music made a comeback with artists like Amy Winehouse fully embracing and paying homage to it. Radiohead released an album and then told people to pay whatever they wanted for it. Most people gave the band money for it instead of taking a free album. Prince gave away his album Planet Earth for free with purchase of the British Daily Mail tabloid, for whatever reason. Speaking of Prince, he also performed the halftime show at the Super Bowl, which is still considered to this day to be the greatest Super Bowl performance of all time. Dude sang Purple Rain while it was raining. Go figure. Perfect timing. Bands that started in 2007 included Bass Invaders, ASAP Mob, Mumford & Sons, Blood on the Dance Floor, Florence and the Machine, Haim, Cruella, Versailles, W&W, and Tame Impala. Chris Cornell left Audio Slave. Other groups who broke up before their inevitable reunions or announced their hiatus included Audio Slave, Evanescence, Outcast, Train, Flowetry, Frankie Goes to Hollywood, The Lords of the New Church, Body Rockers, Jurassic 5, Junior Mafia, Quiet Riot, New Order, and Genesis. Bands that reformed included Extreme, The Jesus and Mary Chain, Boys Zone, The Blow Monkeys, Sixpence None the Richer, Soul to Soul, Squeeze, King Crimson, James, EMF, Eve Six, The Mighty Mighty Boss Oblivion, Van Halen with David Lee Roth back as lead singer, and N17. Bands that reformed in 2007 for either one tour or one performance only included The Police, The Spice Girls, and Led Zeppelin, with Jason Bonham taking over drumming duties for his late father, John Bonham. Jordan Sparks won American Idol. Speaking of American Idol, the best-selling album that year was actually American Idol alumni Chris Daughtry's first album, Daughtry. Also among the most popular albums and artists that year were Beyonce, Kanye, Taylor Swift's debut album, Jay-Z's American Gangster, Linkin Park, 
another American Idol alumni, Carrie Underwood, Justin Timberlake, Gwen Stefani, Nickelback, the Hannah Montana soundtrack, and the High School Musical 2 soundtrack. Daughtry actually outsold all of those albums. Seriously, such was the power of American Idol back in the day. Worldwide, though, Daughtry was no match for Avril Lavigne's album, The Best Damn Thing, which was the biggest-selling album of the year worldwide. The most critically acclaimed album of the year, though, was Amy Winehouse's 2006 album, Back in Black, while her song Rehab was the most critically acclaimed song of the year, as Back in Black finally hit it big in 2007. The top single of the year was Irreplaceable by Beyonce. Other top singles were Rihanna and Jay-Z with Umbrella, Ella, Ella, A, 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 Gwen Stefani and Akon with The Sweet Escape, Fergie with Big Girls Don't Cry, T-Pain and Young Jock with Buy You a Drank, Carrie Underwood with Before He Cheats, The Plain White Tees with Hey There Delilah, Akon and Snoop Dogg with I Wanna Love You, Nelly Furtado with Say It Right, Fergie and Ludacris with Glamorous, M.I.A.'s Paper Planes and Akon with Don't Matter. In country music, singer Sammy Kershaw ran for Louisiana's lieutenant governor spot, but lost that. Rascal Flatts, Sugarland, Brooks and Dunn, Montgomery Gentry, Big and Rich, and Emerson Drive were the biggest groups of the year. Top artists included Rodney Atkins, Kenny Chesney, Tim McGraw, Taylor Swift, Carrie Underwood, Brad Paisley, Billy Currington, Reba McIntyre, Martina McBride, Allison Krauss, George Strait, Keith Urban, Kelly Pickler, and Luke Bryan. There were actually 25 singles that hit the top of the country music singles chart in 2007. Among those were artists who were actually taking more than one trip to the top of the charts, including Kenny Chesney, who had Beer in Mexico, Never Wanted Nothing More, and Don't Blink. Taylor Swift had Our Song. Garth Brooks had More Than a Memory. Tim McGraw had Last Dollar. Brad Paisley had Online, She's Everything, and Ticks, which is a weird song about, well, ticks. Rascal Flatts' Stand and also Take Me There. There were two songs at the top of the charts for them. Big and Rich is Lost in This Moment, George Strait's It Just Comes Natural, and Carrie Underwood's So Small, and also her song Wasted hit the top of the charts. In hip-hop, the biggest albums of 2007 were done by Kanye, 50 Cent, T.I., Jay-Z, Fabulous, Common, UGK, Lupe Fiasco, Young Buck, Redman, J. Dilla, LP, DJ Khaled, Cassidy, Jeezy, Fat Joe, Play a Circle, Bone Thugs and Harmony, Dizzy Rascal, Sage Francis, Ghostface Killa, and Timbaland. The top singles of 2007 were Kanye's Stronger and also his song Good Life, Timberland's Give It To Me, 50 Cent and Justin Timberlake's AO Technology, Bone Thugs and Harmony's I Tried, Fabulous's Make Me Better, T.I.'s Big Things Poppin', Fat Joe's Make It Rain, Playa's Circle's Duffel Bag Boy, and Jeezy's Go Getta. In dance music, some of the biggest clubs on the party island of Ibiza were shut down by the cops for not 
doing a good job of getting the illegal drug trade out of their clubs. Some of the big albums of dance music in 2007 included Justice's Cross album, Burial's Untrue, Calvin Harris's I Invented Disco, and the album by Groove Armada. Pop and R&B artists like Madonna, Justin Timberlake, Nelly Furtado, and Rihanna continued to dominate the dance charts. However, some EDM artists managed to break through, like Bob Sinclair, who, along with Big Ali and Dollarman, scored a big club hit with Rock This Party. Eric Prydz's song, Proper Education, became the first remix of an original song to get onto Billboard's Top Dance Airplay chart. That original song that he did the remix of was another brick in the wall from Pink Floyd. Ralph Falcon's song, I Need Someone, was the biggest song on the Dance Club play chart. Mindless Self-Indulgence also had a couple of major club hits, Straight to Video, and Shut Me Up. September's Cry For You, David Guetta's Love Don't Let Me Go, Cascada's Every Time We Touch, and also their song Miracle. Edunes Put em Up. Ida Kors, let me think about it. Chris Lake's Changes, Justice's D-A-N-C-E, along with songs by Basement Jacks, Armand Van Helden, Ferry Corston, Axwell, Daft Punk, Proxy, ATB, The Chemical Brothers, Eric Prids, Calvin Harris, and Sneaky's Sound System were also big. The top 10 DJs on DJ Mag's Top 100's DJ's poll for 2007 were Armin Van Buren, Tiesto, John Digweed, Paul Van Dyke, Sasha, Above and Beyond, Carl Cox, Ferry Corsten, Infected Mushroom, and David Guetta. The top Latin artists of 2007 included RBD, who had the top album, Aventura, who had the second biggest album and also the top single, Daddy Yankee, Mana, Valentin Elizande, Vicente Fernandez, Jennifer Lopez, Don Omar, Wizen and Yandel, Ricky Martin, Enrique Iglesias, and Hector El Father. Musicals that opened on Broadway in 2007 included Legally Blonde, Curtains, and the revival of 110 in the Shade. Musical films that were popular in 2007 included the remake of the 1988 movie Hairspray, Across the Universe, which remade music from the Beatles, Sweeney Todd, the demon barber of Fleet Street, based on the Broadway musical, and also the movie Once. The TV musical High School Musical 2 also came out in 2007, breaking TV ratings records for Disney Channel, which broadcasted the musical. Artists who were born in 2007 included singer Lil Tay, singer Melody, and singer and rapper Alea High. Artists who unfortunately passed away in 2007 include R&B pioneer Ike Turner, singer Dan Fogelberg, country great Porter Wagner, Bill Pickney of The Drifters, Kevin DeBro of Quiet Riot, jazz pianist Oscar Peterson, jazz saxophonist Michael Brecker, Mark St. John of Kiss, Brad Delp of Boston, Zola Taylor of The Platters, Hank Medress of The Tokens, George McCorkle of The Marshall Tucker Band, jazz musician Alice Coltrane, Denny Doherty of The Mamas and the Papas, singer Frankie Lane, Indonesian singer Chrissy, entertainer 
Kitty Carlisle, Chelis Metislav Rostopovich, Uzumi Sakai of Zard, Hawaiian entertainer Don Ho of Tiny Bubbles fame, Tony Thompson of High Five, Ian Wallace of King Crimson, Billy Henderson of The Spinners, Joe Hunter of Motown Records house band The Funk Brothers, Bam Bam Lane of Bill Haley and His Comets, Mexican singer Antonio Aguilar, reggae artist Lucky Doobie, entertainer and entrepreneur Merv Griffin, Paul Raven of Killing Joke, entertainer Robert Goulet, Carter Albrecht of Edie Brickell and the New Bohemians, Joe Zawinul of Weather Report, saxophonist Boots Randolph, opera singers Luciano Pavarotti, Beverly Sills, and Regine Crespin, singer Greth Kausland, composer Karl-Heinz Stockhausen, Macedonian singer Tose Proski, Polish musician Witold Kitika, Singer and actress Carol Bruce, singer-songwriter Lee Hazelwood, composer Giancarlo Minotti, and jazz percussionist Max Roach. In award ceremonies for the music of 2007, Kanye West was the most nominated musician at the Grammy Awards with 10 award nominations. However... It was Amy Winehouse who was the big winner of the night, winning five awards including Record and Song of the Year for Rehab and also Best New Artist, beating Taylor Swift for Best New Artist, no less. Because of visa problems getting into the United States because of prior legal problems in the U.K., Amy Winehouse was not allowed to enter the United States to attend the ceremony. Instead, she performed and accepted her awards via satellite back in England. Jazz great Herbie Hancock won Album of the Year for River, the Joni Mitchell Letters. At the American Music Awards, Rihanna, Daltrey, Beyonce, and Carrie Underwood were the big winners. At the MTV Video Music Awards, Rihanna and Jay-Z won Video of the Year for Umbrella. The Police, Rihanna, Justin Timberlake, Daughtry, Gwen Stefani won the music categories at the People's Choice Awards. The Billboard Music Awards were not actually given out from 2007 to 2010. The Soul Train Music Awards were also canceled but would return the next year. At the Eurovision Singing Contest that was held in Helsinki, Finland that year, the country of Serbia won for the song Molotva. Kenny Chesney won Entertainer of the Year at the Country Music Association Awards, and he also won Entertainer of the Year at the Academy of Country Music Awards. The Arctic Monkeys won Best British Album for Favorite Worst Nightmare and Take That One Best Song for Shine at the Brit Awards. Meanwhile, at the Juno Awards, Feist won Best Album for The Reminder. They also won Best Song for 1234, and they also won Artist of the Year. Silverchair won Album of the Year for Young Modern, and they also won Single of the Year for Straight Lines at the Aria Music Awards. At the Tony Awards, Spring Awakening won Best Musical and Company won Best Revival of a Musical. Musically at the Academy Awards, Glenn Hansard and Marketa Erglova won Best Original Film Song for Falling Slowly from the Movie Once, and Dario Marianelli won Best Original Film Score for the Movie Atonement.
The Pulitzer Prize in Music went to Ornette Coleman for Sound Grammar. The Canadian Polaris Prize went to Patrick Watson for his album Close to Paradise. George Shearing was knighted by Queen Elizabeth II. Evelyn Glennie was made a dame, while Rod Stewart, John Rutter, and Imogen Cooper were among those given Order of British Empire awards by the Queen. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction ceremony was held on March 12th at the Waldorf Astoria Hotel in New York City. During the ceremony, only Sammy Hagar and Michael Anthony from Van Halen went to the ceremony to be inducted, despite the fact that they had both been kicked out of Van Halen at that point. The rest of the group did not even bother to show up. Eddie Van Halen was rumored to be in rehab at that moment, actually. The 2007 class only had artists inducted into the performers category, as no one met the criteria for any of the other categories. But in that performer's category, the hall inducted the Ronettes, Patti Smith, Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five, Van Halen, and this next group. The alternative rock group R.E.M. started out in the college town of Athens, Georgia, which was home to another groundbreaking group, the B-52s. College student Peter Buck was working at Wuxtree Records in 1980 when fellow student Michael Stipe walked in. The two of them struck up a conversation and realized that they both liked the same music. The two soon-to-be friends then met students Mike Mills and Bill Berry through a mutual friend. And after realizing that they all shared a love of music, the four guys decided to form a band together and play around town. Eventually, they started to get serious about music, so they ditched college. The name R.E.M. was picked out of a dictionary by Michael Stipe and is short for Rapid Eye Movement, which is the dreamlike state when you sleep. The group got a local manager and went to work making a name for themselves by touring in the southern United States. The problem that they found was that since they were one of the pioneers of alternative rock, they had to build the genre's infrastructure as clubs weren't really open to having alternative rock groups, especially down in the South back then. So, while they kept things lean by doing things like having a $2 per day food allowance, they built up their fan base the old-fashioned way. They started with word of mouth and then passing around bootleg tapes of their performances along with playing for college rock radio stations. In 1981, R.E.M. put out their first single, Radio Free Europe, off of their EP, Chronic Town. That got the attention of independent record label IRS Records, who signed them to a contract in 1982 and got them right to work recording at Reflection Studios in Charlotte, North Carolina. After clashing with their first producer, Stephen Haig, the group was able to work with Don Dixon and Mitch Easter, who worked on Chronic Town with them. Recording sessions started in January of 1983, took less than eight weeks to finish, and was mixed and mastered in March of 1983 due to the fact that a lot of the songs were already written. In keeping with their ad hoc way of doing things, they experimented with different microphone positions, using guitar reverb, and putting drums in a different room for recording purposes. 
The result was the critically acclaimed debut album Murmur, released the very next month in April of 1983. That's how quick things were done back in the days. Their follow-up album, Reckoning, was done almost the exact same way, and with the same two producers. Reckoning was recorded in December 1983 in Charlotte, North Carolina again, and took only 16 days to record. The first eight days of the month, then a two-week break to play a gig or two, and then another eight days to finish the album. Reckoning, which was released in April of 1984, was a lot darker in mood than Murmur, with themes of alienation and loss weaving their way across the album. Nonetheless, Reckoning was also a big success, both with the critics and the public. Their third album, Fables of the Reconstruction, is considered by many critics to be one of the group's masterpieces, but it didn't come so easily this time. Joe Boyd came in as producer this time. Joe was known for being a perfectionist on his albums, which clashed with R.E.M.'s style of recording. Still, Fables was recorded relatively quickly, with the session starting at Air Studios in London, England in March of 1985, with the album being released in June of 1985. Again, it was a critical and commercial success, both in America and in the UK, where it became their first chart-topping UK album, peaking at number 11. The fourth album, Life's Rich Pageant, was different in many ways from their earlier albums. For starters, it marked a shift from their post-punk emo alternative rock and more towards a more hard rock style of alternative. Second, it was the first album where you could actually hear what Michael Stipe was singing, as his vocals previously were almost buried in his songs and he was usually mumbling them anyway. New producer Don Gaiman got Michael to sing more clearly this time around. Life was actually recorded at John Mellencamp's Belmont Mall Studios in Indiana. They started recording in April 1986, finished it in May, and released it in June. This was the first album that got them more of a foothold into the mainstream Top 40 radio stations, although they wouldn't get their first Top 10 song until their next album. That next album, by the way, Document, was recorded in March and April 1987 at Sound Emporium Studios in Nashville, Tennessee with their new producer, Scott Litt. Litt would stick around for a little while. The album was released in August 1987 and became a top 10 album with REM classics The One I Love, It's the End of the World as We Know It, and I Feel Fine, and Finest Work Song. It was also their last independent release with IRS Records as REM then signed with major record label Warner Brothers. IRS did put out the group's successful Greatest Hits album, Epinimus, later on, though. Side note, It's the End of the World as We Know It was very cleverly put into the 1996 blockbuster movie Independence Day as the song that was playing when the scientists discovered the radio signal that announced the alien's presence, if you recall. The first album that was released on Warner Brothers was Green. It was recorded at Arden Studios in late May to early July 1988 with Scott Litt back at the helm and then was mixed and mastered at Bearsville Sound Studios in Bearsville, New York until early September. 
the bet that Warner Brothers made on REM paid off when Green was released in November 1988 and hit number 12 on the album's chart. Bearsville Sound Studios was the primary location for the recording of the album that would turn REM into superstars. That album, of course, was Out of Time. This album, which was also partially recorded at John Keane Studios in Athens, Georgia, took longer to produce than most of their other albums as they spent most of 1990 working up the songs and then recording them with Scott Litt starting in September of that year. They spent a lot of time experimenting with different genres from the funk rap of radio song with guest artist KRS-One to also having... Kate Pearson on guest vocals for Shiny Happy People, Kate Pearson, of course, being from the B-52s, and also for them doing psychedelic rock on the song Belong. To add a little extra to the sauce, they then mixed the album at Prince's studio, Paisley Park Studios in Minneapolis, Minnesota. On March 12, 1991, Out of Time was released led by the chart-topping smash hit single Losing My Religion, the album became one of the biggest-selling albums of the 1990s and cemented R.E.M. as the kings of alternative rock, a genre that would rule the musical landscape for the decade. The album won three Grammy Awards, including Best Alternative Album, while the music video for Losing My Religion, which was filmed like artistic paintings, won the group numerous MTV Video Music Awards. While they were finishing up work on Out of Time, R.E.M. started work on their next album, Automatic for the People. They started writing songs in December 1990 and started recording demos at Paisley Park Studios in June 1991, with formal recordings started in September 1991 at Ocean Way Recording Studios in Los Angeles, California. Scott Litt again guided them through this album with string arrangements to some of the songs actually being handled by bassist John Paul Jones of Led Zeppelin fame. Who knew John Paul Jones had that talent in his arsenal? Anyway, when released, Automatic for the People became another huge smash, going to number one on the album's charts worldwide and spawning hit songs Drive, Man on the Moon, and Everybody Hurts. Another side note for you, Man on the Moon was a tribute to the late comedian and actor Andy Kaufman. The song became the title for the 1999 movie about Andy that starred Jim Carrey and was also a part of the movie's soundtrack. The next album, Monster, took a different route to success than the other albums. After tasting mainstream and major label success with more melodic songs, the group wanted something more aggressive and raw this time around. They wanted to take their artistic frustration and anger at the music industry in general through their songs and to also deal with the death of their close friend, who was actor River Phoenix, who passed away from a drug overdose on Halloween night 1993, along with also dealing with the death of another good friend, Kurt Cobain of Nirvana, on April 5, 1994. Monster was recorded at Kingsway Studios in New Orleans starting in February 1994 before moving to Crossover Soundstage in Atlanta, Georgia in March that year before finally finishing in June. It was released on September 27, 1994. 
Behind the hits, What's the Frequency, Kenneth, and Crush Eyeliner, Monster became another huge hit and won the band four Grammy Awards. In 1995, while on the road to support Monster, R.E.M. took eight-track recorders with them and recorded their next album, New Adventures in Hi-Fi, as they wanted to capture the energy that they felt while on the road. They finished the album at Bad Animal Studio in Seattle, Washington, and had vocal help from the legendary Miss Patti Smith on the song Ebo the Letter. This time around, the mixing duties would be handled not only by stalwart producer Scott Litt at Sunset Sound in Los Angeles, but also by Pat McCarthy at Louis Clubhouse in Los Angeles and John Keane at John Keane Studio in Athens, Georgia, and then also at another studio in Portland, Maine. New Adventures in Hi-Fi would be released in September 1996 and become another huge hit, although it did not sell as well as their other 90s albums. It also marked a few milestones in the band's personal lives, which were relatively scandal-free up until this point. First off, they re-signed their contract with Warner Brothers Records, and then the group decided to let their longtime manager, Jefferson Holt, go due to alleged sexual harassment charges against him by one of the band's employees. Then, drummer Bill Berry decided to quit the band due to a lot of health problems, including having a brain aneurysm while on stage in 1995 during a concert. After a couple of decades of laying low and becoming a farmer, of all things, Bill joined a new group, The Bad Seeds, in 2022. He still did reunions with R.E.M. every now and then showing up at a concert or two. To say that Bill's departure led to the band's downslide would be pretty harsh, since it probably had more to do with the changing winds of the ever-fickle music industry than Bill's departure did. Still, Bill was a major part of the band's creative process, and without him the group missed something. They continued on releasing 1998's Up, 2001's Reveal, 2004's Around the Sun, 2008's Accelerate, and 2011's Collapse Into Now. However, none of those albums hit platinum status, with the last three not even hitting gold status in America. The remaining members of the band amicably called it quits in 2011 after deciding that the band, after 31 years, mind you, had run its course. They put out special projects and done interviews to push books, anniversary editions of their albums and such. However, there's been no official reunion album or concert tour, and I suspect that there will never be. It's really just not their style. When they were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, Bill Berry joined them to accept his award and to also perform three songs with the group. R.E.M. released 15 studio albums in their career, five live albums, six EPs, and 16 compilation albums. Of those, all of the studio albums hit the top 40, with all but six of them hitting the top 10, with Out of Time and Monster hitting number one, and Accelerate, New Adventures, and Automatic hitting number two. They also released 63 singles. Of those, 20 hit the top 10, with 10 hitting number one. 
The group won numerous awards, including Grammy Awards and MTV Video Music Awards. They were also known for being very outspoken on social and humanitarian issues, as well as in local politics in their old stomping grounds of Athens, Georgia. Presented for induction by Eddie Vedder of Rock and Roll Hall of Fame Class of 2017 inductees Pearl Jam, Michael Stipe, Bill Berry, Mike Mills, and Peter Buck. R.E.M. Inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame Class of 2007. And we've put a bunch of the group's music on this week's podcast playlist, the link to which is in the show notes. Before we go any further, we'd like to tell you about our other podcast, the Music History Today podcast, where we go over the events, music releases, births, and passings for that day in music history. The Music History Today podcast drops each and every day, including on the weekends, on this channel, the Music History Today network, and also on our Music History Today network YouTube page. Now, back to the Music Halls of Fame podcast. This week, we're going to look at the case for putting Don Henley into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as a solo artist. Don, of course, started his career as a member of Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductees, the Eagles. However, he put together a great solo career while the Eagles had broken up. So, with that said, to the tale of the tape we go. Don Henley released five studio albums and two compilation albums. Of those, his five studio albums hit the top 40, while one of his compilation albums hit number 48. Three of his studio albums got to the top 10, with 2015's Cass County getting to number 3. His best-known album, 1989's The End of the Innocents, only got to number 8, but it's his best-selling album with over 6 million copies sold in America alone. As far as his singles went, he released 52 of them. Of those... 19 hit the top 40 on the U.S. charts, with 14 of those hitting the top 10. And of those 14, 5 hit number 1. He's had big hits like The Boys of Summer, The End of the Innocents, Dirty Laundry, All She Wants to Do is Dance, Last Worthless Evening, I Will Not Go Quietly, and The Heart of the Matter, among many others. Don has sold 10 million albums as a solo artist. He's also received 18 Grammy Award nominations, winning three of those. He's also won MTV Video Music Awards for the videos to Boys of Summer and The End of the Innocents. Now that right there is a pretty solid resume. As far as whose careers he compares to, who are already in the hall as solo artists after coming out of successful groups, well, you got Lionel Richie of the Commodores, who is in the hall as a solo artist, Paul Simon of Simon and Garfunkel, who is in the hall as both Simon and Garfunkel and as his solo career, along with Stevie Nicks of Fleetwood Mac, who is also in as a solo artist and also in the group Fleetwood Mac, and who Don sang the hit single Leather and Lace with. So if all of those people are in the hall, then I see no reason why another great singer-songwriter, Don Henley, isn't in as a solo artist as well. And to prove my point, 
check out his music, which we put onto this week's podcast playlist for you. Check the link in the show notes. This week's Spotlight Music Hall of Fame is the Grammy Hall of Fame and Museum in Los Angeles, California. There are actually three Grammy museums now, with one in Newark, New Jersey, and another one in Cleveland, Mississippi, to go with the main one in L.A. The Recording Academy runs the museums, but has been inducting members into its Hall of Fame since 1974. The main Grammy Museum itself, with its Hall of Fame wing, opened in 2008 at L.A. Live, which is the downtown L.A. complex that has what used to be called the Staples Center and is now named after some sort of crypto thing. The museum has four floors, including a theater, and some of the past exhibits there have paid tribute to John Lennon, Roy Orbison, Latin singer Jenny Rivera, and the world of hip-hop. Plus, they have ticketed evening discussions with artists such as Debbie Gibson and also Richard Marks. Ticket prices are normally $18 for adults, $15 for seniors and military members with ID, $12 for college students with ID, and kids 5 through 17. Children 4 and under, by the way, and also museum members are free. Its normal hours are Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Sunday from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m., Saturdays from 11 a.m. to 6 p.m., and closed on Tuesdays. However, due to the changing seasons and all, always check with the museum's website for updated hours of operation along with pricing as things have shifted over the past year more than a few times. GrammyMuseum.org is its website, and we will, of course, throw that into the show notes for you. Billy Joel was born May 9, 1949, in the Bronx in New York City, but is probably more synonymous with the area he grew up in, Long Island, New York. He started his career in 1971, but had his career breakthrough in 1977. And even though it feels like he's put out a ton of work, considering how long he's been around, he actually hasn't. He's only put out 13 albums in an over 50-year career, his last album being an album of classical compositions almost a decade ago. He's also put out five live albums and is still a big concert draw, including doing a monthly residency at Madison Square Garden that he is about to end within the next few months, actually. Billy's had 33 top 40 hits, but a lot of his songs that didn't chart are considered classics and are classic rock radio and streaming station staples. He has won five Grammy Awards, including Album of the Year, Song of the Year, and Record of the Year. He has also won pretty much every single major Lifetime Achievement Award you can think of, including a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame and a spot in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. He has surprisingly not gotten either a Presidential Citizens Medal or a Presidential Medal of Freedom, but there's hopefully still time for that. He's also probably never ever going to get a Safe Driving Award, given his history of serious auto accidents. Uh, Google them if you don't know what I'm talking about. It's too numerous to talk about here. 
Billy has put out classic albums like 52nd Street and Innocent Man and the River. He's put out classic songs like Tell Her About It, We Didn't Start the Fire, Uptown Girl, My Life, Allentown, Pressure, Goodnight Saigon, and the list goes on and on. What people may not know or even remember is that Billy's career did not get off to such a great start. In fact, if not for the success of this next album, it may have ended pretty early. Billy's first album was Cold Spring Harbor, which was released back in 1971. A few of the songs that were on it, like She's Got Away, are now considered part of his greatest hits, but they only became hits years after the fact. In fact, a lot of his classic songs that you know and love on classic rock radio stations were not hits when they first came out. Cold Spring Harbor was actually a stone-cold bust. His second album fared a little better. Piano Man, which was released in 1973, was a decent hit. The title track, of course, is both his signature song and his nickname. His third album, Street Life Serenade, released in 1974, bombed as well. His 1975 album, Turnstiles, the same although it also had soon-to-be classics New York State of Mind and Say Goodbye to Hollywood. So, for those of you keeping score already, that's three dead albums and one meh album. Columbia Records, the record label to which he was signed to, decided to give him one last chance. If his next album did not sell well at all, that would be it for his contract, and as they say, he was free to pursue other opportunities elsewhere. So, no pressure. Billy went to work. He flirted with the idea of working with Sir George Martin of Beatles fame, but instead decided to work with Phil Ramone, who had worked on Paul Simon's album Still Crazy After All These Years. This decision was actually made a lot easier when, as it turns out, Sir George didn't think it was such a good idea for him to work with Billy and his band. Phil was great in that he used what were at the time considered innovative techniques, such as doubling up on all the vocals. He also added synthesizers and drum machines, things that were just becoming accepted instruments, thanks in part to artists like Stevie Wonder using them back in the 70s. Playing on the album with Billy were multi-instrumentalist Richie Cannata, Dominic Cortese on accordion, organist Richard T., guitarist Hiram Bullock, Steve Kahn, Hugh McCracken, and Steve Berg, Doug Stegmeyer on bass, and Liberty DeVito on drums. In the recording booth with Phil Ramone was engineer Jim Boyer. Ted Jensen handled the mastering duties at Sterling Sound Studios in New York City. Katie Kurz was the production assistant while Jim Houghton was chief photographer. And those are the liner notes for you kiddies. Recording sessions were held in July and August of 1977 at Columbia Recording Studios in New York City. Sessions there were pretty aggressive and went on until the early morning hours. It helped that Billy had worked up the songs years earlier during his salad days, relying on his upbringing and time as a lounge singer for inspiration. On this album were the songs Moving Out, Only the Good Die Young, Just the Way You Are, Scenes from an Italian Restaurant, Vienna, She's Always a Woman, The Stranger, Get It Right the First Time and Everybody Has a Dream. 
out of all of those songs, only the last two are not considered either hits or classics. She's Always a Woman and Just the Way You Are were about Billy's first wife, who was also his manager and whom he divorced in 1982. Just the Way You Are won Record and Song of the Year Grammy Awards. Scenes from an Italian restaurant was inspired by an Italian restaurant, where he used to play piano during his salad days, with the Brenda and Eddie portion of the song being inspired by all of the people who he went to school with. I'm sure we all know a Brenda and Eddie in our lives. The song, if you actually listen to it, is in three parts, and it follows Brenda and Eddie from courtship as young lovers to the end of their marriage. Vienna was written about a visit that Billy had with his father, who Billy was visiting over in Vienna at the time. Only the Good Die Young, about a kid trying to get a Catholic girl to have sex with him, caused a lot of controversy because because it was about a kid trying to get a Catholic girl to have sex with him. These days, however, it's considered a classic. Times change. The song was actually written for someone else to perform, but Billy thought that it was too good a song to give up, so he kept it for himself, since the Virginia, who's being referred to in the song with Come Out Virginia, Don't Let Me Wait, is actually Virginia Davis, who Billy had a crush on back in high school wonder what ever happened to her. Moving Out eventually became the inspiration for the Broadway musical Moving Out, which used Billy's songbook as the music for the musical, helping to usher in the latest jukebox musical craze on Broadway. So, thanks for nothing. Anywho, the song The Stranger talks about the stranger in yourself and in others. The album The Stranger was released on September 29, 1977. Although it wasn't nominated for Album of the Year, the song Just the Way You Are won two Grammy Awards, as I said, for Record and Song of the Year. Billy's next album, 1979's 52nd Street, actually won the Grammy Award for Album of the Year, so don't feel too bad for Billy. Meanwhile, The Strangers spent 17 weeks on the Billboard Albums chart, where it got to number two and sold over 10 million copies. It also got them off the hook with Columbia Records. Turns out, selling 10 million copies of an album will make a record label want you to stick around a little while longer. Also, according to Billy, he eventually received a letter from Sir George Martin. It said, Congratulations and that he should have reconsidered working with Billy on the album. Sir George Martin was always a class act. Billy Joel's iconic masterpiece, the album The Stranger, inducted into the Grammy Museum Hall of Fame in Los Angeles, California in 2008. And we've included Billy's album The Stranger onto our playlist. The link, as you now know, of course, is in the show notes. The Music Halls of Fame podcast is part of the Music History Today network, which can be found under Music History Today on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcasts from, and also on our YouTube page under Music History Today. Thank you very much for listening. <laughs>